0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: We're talking a best ball roster construction with an extraordinarily high win rate on Roto Viz Radio. What's up,
2: Roto Viz?
1: Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin. alongside Curtis Patrick, we're two of the owners at Rotoviz. We have a very interesting piece of information that uh, Curtis is going to share with everybody tonight. Curtis, how are you doing?
3: Doing great, man. Uh, and just want to let the listeners know, Dave is being a true champ. A little bit under the weather tonight. Actually, a lot bit under the weather. Uh, but we wanted to get this episode out. Uh, our schedule may be a little atypical this week as we kind of work around um, that situation. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into the driver's seat here a little bit and, and Dave will be the color man. We'll switch spots uh, <laughs> just so he doesn't have to talk quite as much. Um, and that's going to take us right into our FFPC stat attack. So our FFPC stat attack is brought to you by the Roto-Viz.com FFPC Best Ball Roster Construction Explorer. And over the course of the last couple of weeks, Dave and I have been uh, completing our latest FFPC Best Ball Tournament build. And our latest draft just finished up. We're going to run down that roster tonight. But as we plugged the outcome into the Best Ball Roster Construction Explorer, we found that um, where we targeted certain positions put us into a 20% win rate category, but when you actually ended with the positional counts, um, for each position. So the traditional best ball slim, a two, six, eight, two build with certain positions in the rounds that we took them, it's a 42.9% win rate with only seven examples of teams built this way. So what you have is kind of a, a, a weird build. Uh, that has produced outlier results. We're going to run down our roster, how we kind of got into this build. Um, we're, neither one of us is going to claim to have known about this outcome until <laughs> until the draft was completed. But strategically, we landed here and it's it's not a surprise um, to see these types of results, you know, given the type of construction that we have. So just a reminder, all of these tools um, and, and research can be yours with the rotavis.com subscription. Um, you You can look at roster construction and win rate and ADP uh, and win the flex and, and all of the, the projections, everything that we've got up on the site, not just for FFPC, but also for underdog. I know it's still, it's definitely best ball season. Uh, this stuff can apply to other large tournament situations like the Scott fishbowl, which I'm sure many of you are playing in finding those edges around the way that you construct a roster and not just a hashtag select the right guys uh, mentality is just so valuable. So we urge you to get in and check out the tools. We're going to talk about them all summer and we're going to talk about them in this episode. Uh, but we would like for you to check them out yourself, uh, with a RotoViz.com subscription. So Dave, let's talk now about this roster because we're starting to find ourselves on some players, um, really in both formats that we've been drafting, Um, and, uh, the, the back half of the draft is where we're differentiating our teams from, from one another. And so I I think that's, that feels comfortable to me, given that we'll probably only have, you know, 10 to 20 teams that we co manage this year. I'm going to run down some of these picks, uh, in the first half of the draft, and then we'll talk a little bit about how we handled the back half, uh, really starting with the quarterback position and some of our, our dart throws. So, uh, just to remind the listeners, we drew the one, nine, in this draft, we started off with Devontae Adams, wide receiver four off the board. Uh, Cup Jefferson and Chase predictably went in front of us. Um, the four backs that went before us were Taylor, McCaffrey, Henry, and Eckler. So a very much by the book first round, and Adams was the, the pick for us here. Um, Aaron Jones, our RB1, we selected it in round two. RB9 off the board. Uh, we did select him in front of Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley, Javante Williams, and Alvin Kamara. Um, and and you do see him fall behind some of those players at times. Um, we've talked a little bit about why we're on Jones in prior episodes. So you can go back and check that out. Where we really put our flag down is with George Kittle and, and round three. And thinking that we, we actually have an opportunity to potentially have, you know, three positional top three players with those top three picks. Uh, very exciting. Marquise Brown, you know, you're not going to find a bigger Hollywood fan than than me. Uh we took him as wide, aggressively as wide receiver 13 in round 4 followed by uh one of Dave's favorites Juju Smith-Schuster in round 5. So this is kind of like a a fandom team yep. <laughs> through uh 5 rounds we end up with a, a three wide receivers, one back and one tight end. Then we come back in in 6 and 7 with two more positional players before we get into the the quarterback position. So Elijah Mitchell, not a player w- we uh you know, overly exposed to Dave, it's kind of a unique situation to stack him uh, with Kittle uh, being double exposed to the 49ers offense through six rounds. But I mean, certainly all of the buzz has been that he's got this job on lock despite the team investing in TDP uh, relatively early in the NFL draft this year. And, you know, Mitchell repeating what he did last year as our RB two this late in the draft would certainly help us. And we come back with Devontae Smith, uh, wide receiver, 35 on the draft board. Um, certainly a player that we think has more upside than that uh, in round seven. So, Dave, I'll pause there for comments on the first seven rounds. We had a one, uh, four, or excuse me, a one. What am I saying? One. Why am I saying one? It's a, We had two running backs, four wide receivers, and a tight end through the seven rounds. <laughs> it's
1: all right. I didn't know where you were going, but I've recovered yeah. Um, I think that this is a very different, clearly given, you know, what you shared from the roster construction explorer, but this is a different type of team than one that I had put together at all this year, I believe. So I enjoyed doing, doing so. And I also think that the way that these players kind of intertwine together gives us, you know, a pretty nice shot here of having a team that could really surprise ourselves and perform very well in a league. I think that all of these players are positioned in offenses that could really explode this year. Obviously there's some question marks in San Francisco. Uh but I feel good about the offenses that these players are being brought onto this roster from. The Mitchell pick was one that in my mind it took me a little bit of time to make sure that it was the area that i wanted to go but i think the reality is curtis any of the running backs that you're taking at this point there's a lot of questions and i think that you could make the case that given what we saw from mitchell last year he actually is the most well positioned of any running back you were going to be able to get there to have an absolutely you know gigantic year yes there's questions you can't carry forward can't carry forward last year, but if you're comparing Mitchell to somebody like uh, Sanders or Ceh or um, you know Kareem Hunt, even who we do like, uh, there's there's a better story there you could tell yourself about Mitchell. So you add him in with Jones you have four stud wide receivers in my opinion, and then you have that uh, real anchor tight end in Kittle who we've already enumerated a number of times uh, this offseason, why we really like, I thought this was a really different and unique, but solid base.
3: I have nothing to add there. Uh, like the way you broke that down. So we waited until round eight for our QB one. Uh, we got onto Dak Prescott here. Uh, the quarterbacks that went in front, not really uh, too surprising. Um, you will at times see Tom Brady go before Dak Prescott. We, uh, we elected for Prescott when Brady was also on the board. Sometimes you'll even see a Trey Lance or Matthew Stafford go in front of Prescott. Um, we also left those guys on the board. Uh, so we take him in round eight. Uh, we figure out our stack a little bit later in the draft. And then in round nine, you know, we're sitting here with just two running backs. It's kind of a hero RB build with Aaron Jones in the second round being you know, really the the team, uh, the team leader there that position for us. So we took a big swing on Rashad Penny at RB38 in round nine. And he was actually, the, that, was, that would be the last running back to be drafted uh, for almost two rounds after that. So it definitely felt like we hit that tier there. And the next back to come off the board in round 11 uh, was Rashad White and Alexander Madison. So it definitely feels like we, we caught a little bit of luck there. Um, for a penny to be sitting there for us in round nine round 10, we come back with Aaron Rodgers, And this is where I really want to start getting into the roster construction explore outputs that we found. So in, in selecting two quarterbacks before the end of round 10 um, two guys with a long history of finishing as high end QB ones guys that, you know, in Prescott's case uh, the the team um, certainly leaning on his arm, you know, Dallas, one of the most exciting offenses, and then we've talked about Rodgers in in years past. It hasn't really s- seemed to matter the rotation of, of skill players uh, that's come in and out of Green Bay. He just you know continues to put up those crazy thirty plus passing touchdown seasons with very few interceptions. Um, and so you know if he's able to keep that up, sans Devontae Adams, we we could end up with a pair of top six quarterbacks, not need the third quarterback. So that's going to inform our strategy. From here on out, we already took the elite tight end as well. So it really positions us to continue to take swings on running backs and wide receivers through the rest of the end of the draft and give ourselves plenty of opportunity there. And that's how we arrived at some of these outputs. So you can go to the roster construction explorer and, and edit for the number of players that you end up with out of position. So we go in and we plug in QB equals two. Uh, we're only going to end up with two quarterbacks. Uh, in this draft, and we took both quarterbacks before round 11. Um, and you can you know, toggle through that at all of the different positions. What you'll find is, and we'll talk about the players, but what you'll find is, in, in a best ball slim, which is the most similar format in our roster construction explore to the best ball tournament setting, with a 2-6-8-2 being the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, 2-6-8-2 configuration, and your quarterback before round 11 Hero RB setup, so your RB1 in round two, five wide receivers deep before round 12, and both tight ends before round 13, 42.9% win rate, Dave, Uh, 42.9% win rate. So the way we achieve that is we come back after Rodgers, we take Tyler Boyd in round 11, Noah Fant in round 12, and then it's off to the races. So maybe share some thoughts on the stack of Prescott and Rodgers, how that set us up to stack, in the back half of the draft with the cheaper players in those offenses. And then also maybe a thought on, on Fant being kind of a a player we were willing to stop at two tight ends for.
1: Sure. So the the first thing here, I think of why we liked uh, getting Prescott and Rogers so much was that if you looked at the other teams in this draft, there's really only one team that has a very compelling case for having a much better quarterback group than we have. And we were still able to get quarterbacks that it was very easy to get wide receivers to stack with them. That was one of the things that was so appealing about this maneuver is that you really don't have to do much to prioritize getting Sammy Watkins on your team, right? And there's other receivers there we could have missed on that we still could have paired with Rodgers. Now, Tolbert uh, in round 13, that is starting to get pretty high, Um, you know, for, for a compared to what I might have expected, you know, a couple of months ago, but that's still not too high of a price tag to be able to pair with our quarterback. So we like that piece of it. I am looking at other teams, for example, with similar groups of passers There's a team that has Wilson and Derek Carr, but we're not able to pair any players, uh, with either of those passers, for example. So that's kind of why we liked the play there with those quarterbacks. Um, ah, yes. Woo. Short term memory tonight. Not that great. Uh, Noah Fant. I believe your question was, why did we feel good stopping there? Well, obviously we have Kittle who we feel so strongly about that should be contributing every week. So if Kittle isn't the player that we expect he's going to be, I think you're still looking at a player that can sometimes fill in um, strongly enough in your point totals that they are going to be in a flex and then bring in the points behind them, um, which would be coming from this case in Fant, which is what we would expect. Even if that doesn't, you have Fant now playing in a situation in Seattle, which surely is not, um, you know, the most attractive place to be. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you this big story of why Fant is, you know, going to be a big breakout this year. I think for me, at least this play really is more so just about how strongly I feel about Kittle.
3: Sure. Um, I think for me, Fant being a tight end too, that we can stop on, you know, the Seahawks offense is one in transition. Um, there is some familiarity if Drew Locke were to win the job, um, there's already the familiarity there. In tight end premium settings, the NFL Stat Explorer shows us that in 2021, Noah Fant had a, a 44% tight end one rate. So in weeks where he would be a tight end one and Kittle also explodes, you have a situation where, you know, um, we we get one of those tight ends into the flex. There's enough, enough athletic uh, upside and fancy upside from Fant to actually get us some weeks where, where both of those tight ends make it into the picture. And it's not just the... The stopgap stuff. Um, case in point, I mean, last season, Fant did have three weeks with um, 19.6 points or greater in tight end premium settings, and including an outburst of nearly 30 points against uh, Las Vegas back in Week Six. So, I, I, you know, I think given the uncertainty in Seattle, um, if you go with Geno Smith, who, uh, you know, you know, maybe a different player at this point of his career in terms of his aggressiveness. Uh, you could end up seeing Fant get a lot more shorter uh, depth of target activity and per, you know potentially even you know, surprise and out-target DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett especially. Um, and if, if Lock's there, that's the familiarity. I mean, he does not have to build that chemistry with Fant. He's got it coming in. It's the other players that are chasing that. So uh, that, that's what really put me on it. Um, you mentioned Tolbert, and this gets us into the, the back half of the draft here. Strategically, once we got past Fant, we're then looking at Prescott and Rogers. We've made the decision we're stopping there. We've made the decision we're stopping at the two tight ends. And then now, how do we set this team up um, to have the really big spike weeks? So we're, we're ignoring ADP a little bit more and focusing uh, much more on, you know, what's the earliest week in the stomach taking a player to not miss and complete that stack. So, you know, we load up our queue with the Jalen Tolberts and with the Sammy Watkins, and then even with a free agent like Will Fuller, who could potentially land in, in Green Bay uh, and has been linked there a little bit, um, not seriously, but is, is basically in every, you know, potential beat report uh, uh, article that comes out on, on who will end up in Green Bay. Um, and then you give yourself two options to, to complete stacks, but then also kind of a, a dice roll. Um, that could end up with an, an, even an addition stack. Um, with Aaron Rodgers, we also had Aaron Jones back in the second round. And one thing that we talked about last week is that, you know, Jones could potentially be more active as a receiver this year with Dylan being on the field a little bit more in his role, even growing too. So we actually stacked Rodgers on the front end, not on purpose. We went in on Jones before we knew we would target Rodgers, but we have a way to stack, you know, before and after. So we go with Jalen Tolbert in round 13. reason he's appealing here, obviously we had Prescott, but James Washington still hasn't been in, in any of the OTAs. And Michael Gallup is a little behind schedule in his recovery. So, I mean, the, the door is open for Tolbert to be the wide receiver, too, to open the season. And, you know, if, if he gets off to the races, I mean, why would he necessarily need to relinquish um, that role? I would expect Dalton Schultz to, to out-target him during that time. But being the third... Uh, most frequently targeted pass catcher in Dallas is certainly attractive. We come back in round 14 with Daryl Williams, a player that we're starting to get some exposure to here, Dave, but he's like he's a James Conner injury away from having a super valuable role that we've seen Conner and Kenny and Drake before him smash in. Um, and, you know, he has enough of the same, you know, size and skill overlap uh, to, to think that he could have, you know, some of those touchdown heavy weeks, which has really been the key for both of those guys. I mean, Connor had all those points last year, but I don't even think he rushed for 800 yards of memory serves. Um, we come back in round 15, we get that other stack with Sammy Watkins, targeting the uncertain pass-receiving core in Green Bay. We would have loved to have had Lazard earlier, it just didn't work out. Um, so we come back with Sammy Watkins for our second player in that Green Bay offense linked to uh, Aaron Rodgers. Kendrick Bourne in the 16th round, um, thinking that, you know, Mac Jones taking a step forward in year two, which is that year that we typically see the big leaps for quarterbacks. Jones, not a player as exciting on, on the ground as some of the other uh, guys, like, you know, uh, a Zach Wilson, for example, or or full year two of, of Jalen Hurts, uh, for example, that you would want to see take a step forward for fantasy purposes. But Mac Jones becoming a better downfield passer, a better red zone passer would certainly elevate Bourne even above where he was last year. And he had a great win rate last year. Uh, Damian Williams, Dave, let's talk about this pick. This one felt pretty important. We'd only had four running backs by the end of round 16. And, you know, we knew we were going to want at least one more. We ended up with two more. But we're left with a decision between Damian Williams, journeyman, Brian Robinson, the rookie in, in Washington, and then uh, the other player that we discussed here was Kenyon Drake. Now he would end up sliding to round 19. Uh, but let's let's focus on on these three players because we had a little bit of back and forth in the slack about it.
1: Yeah, and the interesting thing here is uh, I believe that we have had now multiple drafts where we're kind of staring down a similar set of running backs. Robinson has been in the mix. Williams has been in the mix. I think we introduced Drake Uh, For the first time here, now, as you mentioned, at this point in the draft, we are not very strong in terms of the number of running backs that we have. So we're thinking that we don't want this to be, you know, a lost opportunity here with running back. I think the case that one would make for Robinson here is that you know, Gibson could be banged up a little bit, perhaps Washington, uh, you know, as a touch better this year or Robinson, it just turns out actually is a pretty decent back. I have at points in the draft cycle or I was, you know, pretty high on Robinson and what he could be. Uh, so you have the player there where it's hard, though, to say that there's necessarily a built in role, right? Not surprising for backs at this point. Turn our attention toward Williams. Well, you got Patterson there. You've also got the player that we really like in Algier. But in comparison to other rookies, you know, there's no guaranteeing that this team is going to force his way in there. So. There's a decent uh, case that can be made that Williams should have to see some opportunity, especially in the earlier on portion of the season. Now, Kenyon Drake, obviously going to be behind Jacobs in this Las Vegas offense. That's hard to know exactly what it's going to look like, but should hopefully be able to see some role even as uh, the rookie White mixes in there. So that was kind of the lay of the land with those three backs. Now I asked you about Robinson and I asked, I have asked you about him prior. Now we kind of made our decision for the team here, which I'll let you kind of speak on how we, how we finalized it. We made it for different reasons, but I'm also curious as to, uh, if it was just these couple of situations Um, that we have been drafting in, in which you are leery of Robinson? Or is this kind of a, uh, you know, across all league type of trend for you?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
3: Sure. Um, so we ended up going Damian Williams in round 17 here. Um, you kind of hit on it with Tyler Algier being a fifth round investment. Um, and, and actually from a, a size and skill set perspective, being pretty similar to Damian Williams. Um, you, you just wonder if the veteran presence is going to get the first crack at it. Uh, Algier also with the history of being a linebacker and the special teams work uh, could potentially be utilized in that way uh, before he gets a traditional offensive role. So, um, Williams figuring in early with the team, maybe being more creative with, with, uh, Patterson, or maybe even using him more in the slot, uh, to get, you know, more overall upside out of the offense, uh, by having, you know, their most talented players on the field together. I mean, Williams could really slot in there. You know, we know Arthur Smith likes the bigger backs, putting Patterson back out there in the slot, running him on jet sweeps, using him more as a traditional receiver and less as a back out of the backfield. Um, Certainly within the range of outcomes and would provide us with, you know, even just a handful of usable weeks from Damian Williams to cover up our buys. Um, but, you know, this team is really, you know, predicated on Aaron Jones basically being an every week starter and Mitchell and Penny kind of rotating through. So we're not asking for a lot here, but I think we made the decision um, here because Robinson kind of has to usurp a younger and, you know, a still young entrenched player in Antonio Gibson and, and Drake, while he has the upside, the potential upside of being a Josh McDaniels screen back who could, you know, smash if he's used like James white. Um, the question is, you know, how will he, he, he totally recover from the injury uh, that he had looked at this spring? And then how will Zemir white um, figure into uh, the situation as well? And it's and Jacobs. Isn't exactly horrible. Uh, in the receiving game that the team under the prior regimes just hadn't really used him to his potential there. So it is an uncertain backfield and that's why we would still want to have some exposure to Drake. Uh, I certainly have some exposure, but I was totally fine uh, with your comfort level for Williams. And it was kind of justified in looking at how far Drake ended up sliding. He really does last until around 1920 and sometimes it's not even drafted. So we go Williams there. To hit your point on Brian Robinson? I think I'm, I, mean, I I wouldn't say that I'm even interested really at all in any format, but in dynasty, I would be more interested just because we've really seen most of the Alabama backs who have gotten big usage before they graduate, even if they've been older or even if they've been underutilized, but utilized at all, uh, they've gone on and had some NFL relevance. I mean, Drake's actually a perfect example yep. uh, of this. Um, and so, you know, Gibson uh, was not a first round pick. You know, he's already entering round three or uh, year three of, of his rookie deal. Um, and if, you know, if he doesn't end up figuring out how to be a better actual running back, you know, there's there's a range of outcomes where Robinson ends up being the the, the first and second down pounder with McKissick being the traditional change of pace back and Gibson just being a gimmick player. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, over the course of the year, we could see that something like that materialize if the team – uh, tires of, of, uh, Gibson not being as good between the tackles. I mean, Robinson does not have the burst or home run ability of Gibson. I mean, that's pretty clear, but, um, you know, he, he is a more traditional runner. So, uh, I don't think I actually have any exposure even in dynasty, but if I was gonna have exposure, it would be in that format.
1: Wow. 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 No exposure this far. I mean, it makes sense, too, because basically all you're doing at running back is just drafting Mark Ingram.
3: Well, I mean, <laughs> and also, I mean, uh, like, for, from in Dynasty purposes, you're basically drafting a second contract running back right. already with no history of production <laughs>
1: so yeah. from an age perspective.
3: So it's like, I, I mean, there's just... I, I, I Rather than have a player like that, who's probably not going to have a big receiving role with the presidents of McKissick, I mean, I'd rather just actually ha- probably have JD McKissick than Brian Robinson at Dynasty. Perfect. So, fair. like that, like yeah. So that that's really why no exposure there. Uh, that's with as it, that's many drafts as I do, though.
1: yeah. Let, let's let's yeah. talk about that just for one second about the fact that an incoming rookie at running back, you would rather not have said player, and it wasn't like he went, you know. Round seven in the draft. You would actually rather have that player less than at this point a pretty old veteran uh pass catching back, not known for putting up, you know, significant additional production on the ground. It's just interesting. I, I think for some people they might want a quick breakdown of of how they you know what I mean, how you could arrive there with two players that are so different. Sure.
3: Yeah, sure. And I mean, it, the same would go for, you know, players like Naheem Hines and um, you know, etc. players that are basically blocked by um bell cow, you know, alpha types uh in their offenses, but in any given week like in dynasty or even in a roster managed redraft league, you know, it's 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 tough if you're looking for that spot start and it's not a it's not an end of bench player or it's not a best ball situation where, you know, you're looking for that, you know, crazy outcome where a player gets injured and then you don't have to deal with the waiver wire in a given week. If I just need 10 to 12 points, I mean, I'm much more likely to get that from the receiving back with a with a defined role. I mean, I, don't, I only need the team to actually get in to, to get the ball in the last four minutes of each half and, and run one drive and I just need two dump offs to that player. And all of a sudden in PPR, I'm where I need to be. I mean, Brian Robinson could end up getting four or five carries, you know, uh, of relative low value between the twenties and he can average five yards of carry. And I mean, I get two points for that, you know? So, you know, it's just, and if you can't see, if you can't see the player actually achieving, high heights even in a best-case scenario. So I think Brian Robinson is less talented overall than Antonio Gibson in terms of big playability and just, like, overall, like if if he were to hit the nuts on his NFL possible outcomes versus Gibson doing it, you know, Gibson probably looks like Joe Mixon. Yeah. Robinson looks like, hmm, I don't know. A.J. Dillon or something like that. You know, it's not not a player that's going to have more than or I mean, or 80 percent of Nick Chubb, 70 percent of Nick Chubb, not a player that's going to catch a lot of balls. And, you know, I don't think that Washington's going to be even good enough to really lean into a player uh, like Robinson and give him like the 300 carries. So he's you know, he's probably capped at 180 to 200 carries unless, you know, the team becomes good enough to just be milking the game in the second half all the time. So there's just really no, there's just really no reason that I would want to have a player like that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting, um, and this is just kind of more to talk about Robinson when you talk about, you know, the potential of like an AJ Dillon type of case, I feel like we could end up in a situation with Robinson where there's always kind of this underlying hype that just seems to carry and carry because it feels like, all right, they could just be close to getting the offense, but it never, you know, never materializes, Um, but so anyway, so that's an interesting breakdown from you there.
3: Yeah. I mean, if, if Gibson went down like in a roster management league, I mean, I would run to the waiver wire and pick Robinson up, Yeah, but I just don't think he's going to do anything unless that happens because of McKissick being there. Like Gibson already does the things they're drafting Robinson to do. I think Robinson is just a hedge on Gibson actually becoming a real running back.
1: Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, anything else that you wanted to I'm going to be perfectly honest Curtis, uh my mind has completely lost anything that we talked <laughs> about prior. So
3: <laughs> let me round it off. We right. we got we got sidetracked talking about the Damian Williams, Brian Robinson, Kenny Drake uh decision in round 17. Okay. So we're 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 rounding the horn here and in 18 19 20, we take Will Fuller in round 18. Um this could be a total zero like it would have been in 2021. Um, but this, there's also obviously a lot of upside, you know, to this pick. You know, Will Fuller objectively is still probably a top 60 wide receiver in this league in terms of what he can bring to a team. I mean, I think he's gonna, if he can prove that his finger works and prove that his hamstrings are attached, he's going to get signed. I mean, Deshaun Jackson was still getting contracts, you know, within the last 24 months. Yeah. So Will Fuller is going to get a contract. And if he lands in the right spot, he's going to have a roll right away. Um, we kind of hope that maybe it's with Green Bay. So we get another uh, exposure there. But yeah. wherever he lands, um, I think, you know, objectively, he's good enough, if healthy, that he's going to give us some starts. And then and we take Brian Robinson, wide receiver 94 in round 19. I'm kind of surprised he's not going earlier. You know, we the offense, obviously, it doesn't project like one of the great ones in the NFL for this season. But you're seeing... Other, you know, team transfer, uh, lower profile guys like Russell Gage all of a sudden become, you know, top 10 round, single digit round picks. And I mean, I think Edwards has a pretty good path to, to, reminds me of, you know, uh, you know, a little bit lesser of a situation because he hasn't had this type of NFL success yet. But like Corey Davis going to the Jets, like there wasn't a lot of competition yet. And, and Davis was getting pushed up at least into like the round 12 territory Edwards. I mean, yes, Drake London is there, but I mean, it wouldn't really be that big of a surprise for Edwards to out target Drake London in, in year one and be the, the team, you know, two option. And even if he is the team three option, if we think Atlanta is going to stink this year, he should still get plenty of opportunity. I could easy, easily see us getting two or three games from Edwards this deep in the draft And then we end the draft with our RB6, the presumed second guy for the Giants right now behind Saquon Barkley, who hasn't been the picture of health in two years, and who has a previous relationship with new head coach Brian Dayball from their time in Buffalo together, Matt Breida. And you know he hasn't been the picture of health either uh, or gotten much activity on the field in the last two seasons, but not much stands in the way of him producing. And it's possible that the team could also try to protect Saquon's touch count a little bit as well. And we could get some surprise production from Brita, even if Barkley doesn't go down. So when you put this all together, you know, strategically we wanted to share this build of, you know, hero RB coming back with an early tight end and then going just two quarterbacks in the first 10 rounds. I mean, there's some pretty exciting results. And so if you're, if you're willing to be wide receiver heavy, plant your flag on a couple quarterbacks, wherever you feel comfortable drawing that line at just going with two, Um, you can really build a lot of different exciting roster configurations. I know Ben and Sean talk about this, you know, a lot on, on their pod. Uh, Sean and I talk a lot about this when we're preparing for uh, you know, our main event drafts every year, which is obviously different with the roster management approach, but, the, the, the same you know, strategies kind of apply. It all comes down to the construction of putting yourself in a position um, to be successful in ways that other teams don't have access to. Um, also would want to point to, if, if this type of discussion is really interesting to you, point you to our best ball pod uh, that uh, Zach Kruger and Calm Kelly are doing. They've had some great guests. I think Derek Brown recently drafted a team with them. They went extreme zero RB, pretty fun uh, squad that they ended up with Dave and I'll be back with uh, some more traditional content stop talking about this draft that's been dragging on for three weeks and hopefully Dave will be a little healthier later this week uh, until next time this is the Rotoviz fantasy football podcast